So, we're here today. We're physically occupying this space today because of the life and death of Jesus Christ. Because of his life, his death, and his resurrection. This is why we're taking up seats today. This is why we're sitting in a black seat. This is why we're, people are getting baptized. This is why we give during the week uh, to our community. This is why we give food to people that need food on a Thursday, why we offer prayer and emotional support. This is why we go to care homes and uh, go to the most vulnerable in our society. It's all because of this man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who lived life here, who taught us how to live life, and who died a most excruciating death and then rose again on the third day. That's why we're physically sitting, occupying this space this morning. And so what I wanted to do, or what I planned to do this morning, was read from the text this morning from Luke chapter 24. I was going to read Eugene Peterson's paraphrase that. He, he does it beautifully. But you can go home this afternoon and do that. You can read Luke chapter 24, and you'll get the full story of resurrection and what it looks like. Uh, but to, to engage you in that today, I've invited Davy Moyer to come and to... Um, He's going to give a spoken word or a poem. And uh, David did this this morning at our dawn service. Um, I questioned him five times. I thought somebody else wrote it. It's that good? <laughs> not that, I, not, not that I, I doubt you. Somebody did write it, yeah. But this is, this is the man that actually wrote this. So uh, give him your full attention because this, this story beautifully, this poem beautifully uh, just paints a picture of what happened on Resurrection Sunday. Hello. That is on. The light of the world had gone out, leaving behind darkness and doubt, fear, rejection, and emotional pain. Not what he promised, but death in the vein. Hope for a king. He said he was the one. Promises, promises. It's me. I have come. Everything's changed. He said that to me. It's coming, the kingdom. It's here. Look and see. What now he's gone, leaving us behind in secret shadows, in fear and blind panic when I think of what he did and said, of what happens now, of what lies ahead. You're one of them, she said to me, hanging with that man from Galilee. I can't shake the words running through my head while I'm still alive. And Jesus, he's dead. I denied that I knew him, that I knew his name. He's gone. I'm here, full of guilt and shame. For two days now, We've all been praying. Jesus, Jesus, is all I find myself saying. My face on the floor, biting the dust. But it can't be the end. Somehow, I must keep on going, go on. But how can we without knowing? Footsteps approaching, breathing is stilled. Have they found us? Is it time to be killed? The door bursts open, and with it my eyes, the women are back, and one of them cries. He's not there anymore. He has risen. The angels told us it's true. Just listen. Laughing and dancing in the dawn light, 
Sounds like nonsense, but sounding all right. Somehow it makes sense. That's what he said. Three days it can keep me. I will not stay dead. I'm running to see him, to see the sun. This is what he promised. The kingdom has come. Death is defeated. Freedom from fear. I look to heaven, grinning from ear to ear. Just strips of linen is where he lay. He's gone already. It's an empty grave. I'm burning inside, but confusion is gone. What's next, I wonder? When will he come? Been waiting and waiting for Jesus to show. Others have seen him. It's not fair, I know. And two of the brothers came over and said, it's true, we've seen him. He's really not dead. He told us some things we thought that, were tr that we knew. They could hardly stop smiling. It must be true. Just then I looked round and there Jesus stood. Peace be with you. It's me. Don't worry. All's good. He looked straight at me, deep into my eyes. And I know he's the treasure. Jesus is the prize. What's that? Thanks, David. That was so, so good. Brilliantly written. And uh, great job. We read, or David told us in, in the story, it's really taken from the story of Luke, that the crack of dawn on Sunday, the woman came carrying spices. That's why they were there, preparing the body. They find the entrance of the tomb rolled back, and they walk in, but inside they can find the body of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What I love about this story is the women are fearless. And the men have gone. Split. Disillusioned and fearful. And the reason why is because the woman had still respect and honor. But more than that, it was their affection for him to give him the dignity that he deserved. To go back to the body that what the body required, the body was getting in that morning. Love propelled him. And fear could not stop them. Beautiful message. Thank God for a woman, fearless woman, right? That was your opportunity. It's gone. It's fairly early in the morning, probably 3 to 6 a.m. The Greek word, most theologians will tell you, it's called stupid o'clock. I want to say for all you morning people who rise up at 6 a.m., I have absolutely nothing in common with you. <laughs> I do not get you. I do not understand you. But I suppose it's a beautiful thing what you do and you get to engage in your day. But I do respect that. So what do you do at 3 a.m.? 3 a.m. time in the morning is where things seem dark and the light has not fully come. Right? And so the women go, they're, they're still fearful, but love propels them against the fear. You're stumbling in the darkness, you're wondering, you're remembering resurrection. Is it true? Is it not true? David's spoken word, the poem, so beautifully given to us, depicted the doubt, 
the physical manifestations of people, their heads are down, they're eating the dust. I wonder what your 3 a.m. is this morning. What's your doubt? Where's your pain? Where's your cloud? Where's your darkness? Loss of somebody? Loss of strength? Loss of an opportunity? Loss of hope? And then they go back, they tell the disciples who again jump ship, not to rub it in. And they began to tell the story of resurrection. <clears throat> says this, but the apostles, those male disciples, didn't believe the word. They thought they were making the whole thing up. You see, in first century Jewish culture, the testimony of a woman was not legit. And to make it legit, to make it valid, especially in a court of law, usually headed up by religious and political leaders. It takes a meal to validate a testimony. But I love scripture because I love how Luke writes this story of Jesus, death, burial, resurrection. And I love that he doesn't make it palatable. He doesn't make it politically acceptable or religiously acceptable to culture. He says it as it is. And for some of us, that make us might make us a little uneasy because you know what? Political culture and religious culture keeps things neat and tidy. But this is just telling it as it is. This makes scripture to me credible, not infallible. To me, this is the rawness of ancient scripture of what Luke does with this story. Beautifully spoken, beautifully told, beautifully written. It tells it as it is story. Peter confused, bewildered. Who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't be? You would be pretty bewildered, wouldn't you? I mean, you follow this man for days and years, months, listen to vision. To be around Jesus was to be around life, and all of a sudden you're around death, and you're around doubt and disappointment. And so the story shifts, as David told us. It shifts from the woman, and it focuses where David left off, I want to pick up, it focuses on now two people who are traveling back home to Emmaus. It says, Scripture says, now in the same day, two of them, after they heard of Jesus' resurrection, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. These two are heading home to a small village. Now back in the day, we read Scripture, and Scripture tells us that Jesus Christ of Nazareth went around from town to town doing good and healing all who were sick, Right? So this is a small town. It's hard to imagine living in Dungan and what a small town looks like, but just go with me this morning. It's a shift, right? It's a small town, and what happens in small town is people talk. They grew up there. They had friends there. They learned to trade there, a lot of them. It just so happened that it must have happened that one day Jesus Christ of Nazareth walked into a village and into a town. And as he walks into a village and into a town, these two people are compelled by the message and the works and the word of Jesus Christ. One who spoke with mercy, compassion, and authority. They come into contact with this Jesus Christ of Nazareth and they leave everything behind and they go and follow him for like three years. Now they're going home. Can you imagine it? The talk. The gossip from house to house, rooftop to rooftop. Huh? Two or three years of following this man. 
He's dead in their mind, Jesus. He's dead in their heart, and they're going home. It's all over. The dream is dead. They're sad. They're probably embarrassed. I would say shame, their reputation. Can you imagine it? Small towns, small towns talk. How did it work out for you? All this talk of kingdom coming and power. How, 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 how did that work out for you? I see you're back. Aren't you slightly embarrassed? Some big statements your rabbi came out with. Some great conversations. Of course, he did some crazy, amazing, miracle things. How's that working for you now? And so they're walking. I would imagine they're walking as slow as they can to get back where they don't want to be. Walking as slow as they can to go where they don't want to be. And as they drew near to the place, as they walk with sadness and doubt and shame and all that's going through their head, chapter 14 of, or verse 14 of chapter 24 says, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Like, I would imagine they're saying, let's just go through the story again. Let's just, let's just talk about it because it's, it seems unreal. Let's, let's just go over it again. Have you ever been in a situation where it's just been so horrendous uh, and the life has been knocked out of you, and life has just been brutal, and all of a sudden, you just go over the conversation again, and again, and again. Well, this is what's happening in this moment. They're going over the conversation again and again. Did, did, did it actually happen? Did that actually really happen? Did Jesus Christ of Nazareth really die that brutal death? Is, is he really dead? And the stone thing, what is earth is going on? So they talk, they discuss these things with him, and Jesus himself came up and he walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. I don't know about you, but I'm just got a confession to a pastor here this morning because I'm in a room of friends. I sometimes have doubts. Don't you? No? Just me? I doubt. Did God say that? Did he ask us to do that? Did he say do this and do that? Did, what, what's this all about? Moving here, doing that? Taking this chance, taking it. Did he really? Did he really say it? And often, when stuff comes up against me, it leaves me with questions, and sometimes, and more than often, doubts. More than I care to admit, sometimes. But what happens to me? I don't know about you, but I get locked in in the problem, and the confusion that I miss that Jesus is walking alongside me, even with my questions. And the beautiful part of this story, it says this: He asked, "What is this you're discussing?" so intently as you walk along the road. All the time he's wanting to engage us in our conversation. Will there, does he take away the pain? No. Does he take away the problems, the stresses in life? Sometimes not. But he walks with us in our questions. It says, in the middle of their question, Jesus Christ of Nazareth appears and starts to walk alongside them. And then he has this weird conversation. He's, he's like, what's happened? I think he's sarcastic. Jesus, I see a sarcastic Jesus here. Don't you? What's happened? What's going on? Like he's the man that's been on the cross, brutal, bleeding, dying, and he's asking these guys, what's going on? And so he, he gets to the edge of the city, and they have this conversation with him, unable to recognize him. And he pers- these two people persuade Jesus to stay. And what happens, and this is where we're going this morning, He stays with them and he sits down at a table with them. And he takes bread 
He blesses it. He broke it. He gave it to them. And in that moment, if you can, if you can key into this one part of my talk this morning, at that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognized him. Right? And then he disappears. I want you to, I want you to think about no one recognizes him until he stops and he sits down around the table and he breaks bread. This is their aha moment. We talk a lot about food here at Vineyard Church Dungan. In fact, we eat a lot of food. It's amazing that I stay in this shape for the much food we, we eat. But that's called discipline. And uh, I work hard at that. Jesus had a reputation. He didn't get a reputation because of nothing. They called him a drunkard. And a glutton. The reason they called him a drunkard and a glutton because he was always either going to a party, coming from a party, or talking about a party. He was constantly eating, coming from food, going to food, or talking about food. A lot of that was Jesus' way of life. That was the culture that he lived in. Bread was very much the culture that he lived in. So he came eating and drinking, right? But I want you to, if you, if you can ever think back to the first mention of eating in Scripture, way back in the beginning. Let me help you with it. Begins in Genesis chapter 3. The story has shifted from humanity, engaging with God, and God engaging with them, and God giving them some help to, to cause the world to flourish. That they would harness the world's potential and rule and reign with God in a good world. That was the plan. Chapter 3, the story changes. In comes a character we know as a serpent. We don't know much about him, but we do know that he causes them to line up with rebellion and a lie. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 3, 67. You doing okay? You warm enough? Too warm? Just right. Good. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. First mention, first meal in Scripture. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. In this meal, eating, their eyes are opened, and the world spirals out of control. First casualty is human relationship. We're now vulnerable. Do you ever feel vulnerable? Yeah. They don't trust each other. Can you imagine a world of that? Fake news, disbelief. Second casualty is intimacy between God. Not just intimacy between God, but also intimacy and relationship between each other. It's lost. They hide. God comes, finds them. They start blaming each other. More than that, the whole of creation is subject now to decay, death, and sorrow. It's not a great story. Now here's Luke. We're coming on the land in just a minute or two, so relax. Here's Luke, who writes this piece, echoing the story, describes now the first meal in the new creation. Are you getting it? I hope that you get this. This is really important. Here is Luke echoing that story. 
Now he describes the first meal of the new creation. And what happens when Jesus sits down and breaks bread? Eyes open and they recognize. They see something. They saw something. And here's just what they see. First of all, you can't get away from the fact that you must come to the conclusion in the story, in the poem, in all that we've engaged with this week long. If you've engaged with any of it, your eyes are open and they saw that Jesus conquered death. That's a given. Now, you can argue against it. You can disbelieve it. But for these guys, that's the reality. The first thing is first that Jesus conquers death. It's interesting that every religion, every culture is focused on the graves of its leaders. Not so with Jesus Christ of Nazareth and his followers. There's great reverence for the graves of the great Mount Zion was the holy place of a grave of a king called David. Lots of people still flocked it to this day. People go on trips to it. Yeah. On cruises. And I'm hoping someday that I get to be a part of that cruise. I would just love to go and do a bit of teaching on that. I could just make stuff up, but I would love to do it. So if anybody's out there is organizing those things, I'm up for that July. It's a good time for us. It's quiet here in Dungannon. Okay, there's nobody in that fee in here to say. Egypt, pyramids, great buildings. People go, flock to them, graves. That's what they are. But the early church had no interest in the tomb of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I love that story. It makes it credible. The early church had no interest in the tomb of Jesus. It was only after the Middle Ages that people start fighting about where Jesus was temporarily buried. Christians are people who have seen the living Christ. And therefore, we are not obsessed with death, but with life and the quality of life. That's what we're about here in Vineyard Church Dungana. We're not about waiting here for a ticket into heaven. Jesus Christ did not die a brutal death so that we could get into heaven. Jesus Christ died a brutal death so he could get heaven into our community, into our people, and into every sphere of society. That's a bigger gospel. And so we have an instinct for life. All of us do. All of us have an instinct for life. You know, when you lose someone that you love dearly and somebody comes up to you and it's, they've just got stupid, all right? All of a sudden, they're not stupid people. They just got stupid because they don't know what to say. And somebody dies and they'll come up to you and they say, that's just life. It's not just life. The human heart was never designed for death. Death entered the world through sin. You are internally wired. You have an instinct for life. You have an instinct for survival. That's why people do courageous things, do really outrageous things to stay alive. That's why people, when they're in the most desperate situation, you have an instinct to live. And that's because of the man called Jesus of Nazareth and his father called God Almighty, Yahweh, who placed it in the human heart that we should live forever. And you and I, in this church, if you're part of it all, and whatever church you're part of, make sure that you have an instinct for life. Jesus said it this way, because I live, you will live also. And Easter's all about bringing people to life, right? And places. So they saw God's agenda. The cross was bigger than their small political dream. Small political dream. He's pulling them into his story. While they wanted to bring God into their story, God is bringing them into his story. 
That's what the conversation was all about. Didn't they say? Didn't they talk about it? They're thinking political. They're thinking religious. And they want to pull God into their small story. Can I tell you, it's still a small story. Politics is a small story. It's become a big story. Religion is such a small story. It's become such a big story. The better story is the story of God, of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. By taking the disorder and the darkness, he brings out order, beauty, and he makes the world to flourish. And our job is to harness that potential so that the world can flourish. You remember that? Remember that we were made to, in the image of God to reflect God, to rule with God, to reign with God. That's your calling in life. So when people come up to you as cheesy as it sounds, and I understand where they're coming from, when they say things like this here, you know, the, the cliches, it's not about who you, what you do, it's about who you are. Are you crazy? Do you understand that there's a God-sized image in you that harnesses you to rule and to reign? Of course it's not all about what you do, but what you do is hugely important. When you understand who you are, then go after everything that you can do to harness the potential to cause the world to flourish. And so we represent God in there. So that's our calling. We're here to care for the world. We're here to harness the potential so that more life can flourish. We're not here to burn down the art and burn down the cathedrals and leave this life. We are here to cause society to flourish. So when you see with the eyes of our hearts that Jesus' broken body and brutal death, that leads us to glorious resurrection life and giving it to the world. He's causing dead things to come alive, to flourish. Do you get that? That's why they said this. This is the instinct for life. There's a small text in there that says, when these guys were walking with Jesus, when he broke their bread and Jesus goes away, they came out with this radical statement. And they said this, this is their sort of hindsight moment. We're not our hearts burning with us while they talk with us. It's like, yeah, it makes sense. We have an instinct for life. Our hearts are starting to burn. There's a passion. It shouldn't be. It doesn't make sense. But you begin to realize why you're alive and you were made for more. The Christian story is not about the, the moving of one people to another place. It's not about taking people out of this world and into another world. The Christian story is about Jesus Christ of Nazareth coming into the neighborhood and restoring all things, bringing life to all things. He didn't rise from the grave to evacuate us out, but to bring life to wherever we are. That's when your eyes become open. That's when you start to see the new creation, the new story of God. Are you with me? And this is a great meal, isn't it? When he breaks the bread, when he gives his one and only life, our eyes are open and we start to see that there is life, that there is life for us to harness and there is life for us to give as a community of faith. And we get to join with God in seeing that happen. Let me finish up with the text of Scripture. Revelation 21.4 says this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He's making all things new. This is the new story. This is the new creation. This is what he's doing. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the former things have passed away. 
And the one who seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. So today, on Resurrection Sunday, today, believe it or not, is the beginning of great things. Really is. This is a big gospel story. Eyes open to see. Eyes open to see. And what happens in this day is that Jesus invites us to come to a table where he breaks again the bread. He gives his body away. The life of God is his body. He gives us that today. But he asks us to go on a journey with him. A journey of life, of course. But there's also a journey of death, of dying to the things that actually harm us and harness our potential. That distract us from the life that God has called us to be. I want to say this morning, institutions may betray you. Systems may and will crush you. Friends maybe kiss you with a kiss of betrayal. But Jesus invites you into a pattern of death and resurrection. Where even in spite of all those things of death and, and doubt and pain and disappointment. He asks us to open our hands. You see, here's the sad thing. And I know I said I'm finishing, but I'm finishing, finishing. I watch too many followers of Jesus Christ, followers of the way, living life with white knuckles. White knuckles. Holding so tight. We live in fear of our reputation. We're holding on to our insecurities. We're holding on to establishments. We're holding on to religion. We're holding on to politics. And we're holding on for dear life. And the longer we hold on, the whiter our knuckles get. And Jesus Christ of Nazareth this morning is asking us to come to live his pattern. And what's the pattern? Well, it's simply this. First of all, to die. Let these things die. So that we can be raised up with him, in him, into the life that he has called us to live. Life to the full.